This is the Hope Church Winter Garden Podcast for April the 10th, 2016. This week we start a new series called Stand. When we're pushed to our limit, we have a choice to make. Will we choose the path of least resistance, or will we have the courage to take a stand? Man, we're glad you guys are here today. I love this church, and um, I love, love, love that you guys decided to be with us today, and we want you guys to know this. If this is your first time with us, we're just glad you guys are here today, and uh, you're welcome into this place, and you can be yourself, and just come be here, be with us every week, and we're just, we're just glad you guys are here today, and we want you to know this. We're going to love you. We're going to do our best to love you, and um, no matter where you've been, we say this every week, that we exist to love all people at all times and all places, and so loving people is what God has called us to do, and so we love you, even though we don't know you, and we like you too, because we're supposed to. Um, man, I'm excited about today, um, primarily because I didn't get to preach last week, and so I've got two weeks of pent-up uh, preaching inside of me, and so I'm, I got some things that God wants me to share um, that God's kind of spoke to me about, and God's kind of turned in my heart and kind of spoke to me and kind of said, hey, you got to get this out, and just over two weeks, I've got two weeks of kind of just doing life with people and, and hanging out with hurting people and hanging out with people who have hurts, habits, and hang-ups which one out of one people in this building have a hurt habit or hang up. And so when you do that as, your, as what you do for life, you just want to share things and kind of talk through some things and share some things with you guys as a church that God wants us to be. Hey, um, man, I, I kind of wrote down a couple of things. Um, I spoke with some of our overseers this past week and, and uh, one of uh, our guys here at the church and kind of just wrote down kind of where we've been at the last, the last six months. And uh, a lot of times it, you, you forget how good things are unless you go back and, and look at, how, how they started. Does that make sense? You forget how good things are today unless you go back and see kind of where things started at, you know. And I love, I love to know where we began because when you know where you began, you can kind of see where, you, where you're going. I said to our dream team and, um, that, that we meet in here at about 930 and, and we get to talk about what's going to happen today. I met with our dream team and I said this to them today. It doesn't matter where you've been. It matters where you're going. It matters where you're, you're going. Your future is important to us. I sat down with a guy this week who's been beat up pretty bad, and uh, he said to me, he said, man, I, uh, I'm, just having a, I'm just having a hard time. I said, I said, man, I know, I've heard. <laughs> and uh, he begins to start spilling his, his baggage out to me. I go, whoa, 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 time out. I said, what are you doing? He goes, I, I want to tell you everything. I said, I don't even care. He said, everybody else seems to care. I said, I don't care. I said, I love you. If you want to tell me. I don't mind being your counselor. I can listen. I'm a, I, I, I like to talk, but I like to listen too. And um, I said, I'll listen, but I said, but you don't got to tell me anything. He goes, you don't want to know? I said, nope. I love you still. It's not going to make me love you less by knowing where you've been. He said, man, I'm having a hard time because I feel like I look at where I started. And I look at where I'm at today. It's not the way I, I pictured it. And so um, I said, you know what, man, our church exists for people, for all people, but especially for you who are saying, oh, I don't even feel like I could even go. To church. First time he's missed Easter, the first time this guy has missed Easter in as long as he can remember. And he said, I just don't, I didn't want to go to church. And I just said, man, well, you're, you're welcome at this place. And so, hey, um, we have, uh, it's, it's been cool. I did, I just kind of, these are kind of little things that I kind of write down as a, as a pastor and as a leader, I kind of remember where we kind of came from. Um, but we've, we've seen over 51 people give their life to Christ in just six months. And that's a big deal. Yeah, that's awesome. That's, that's really, really awesome because that's what, that's what we exist for. We exist to reach people where they're at. And 
We've kind of, uh, you know, just, I'm going to let you clap at the end, okay? Just hang on to your claps, okay? Uh, we've baptized 16 people a few months ago, which was awesome. And um, this number is a smaller number, but it's important to me. We've given away 30 Bibles. And I love that. Um, I love my sister came to me a few weeks ago, and she goes, you know we're almost out of Bibles. And I'm like, no, we're not. She's like, yeah, all the ones you brought here, we're almost out of it. I said, well, I got 30 more at my house. She goes, we've gone through 30 Bibles in just six months. That's 30 people that didn't have a Bible that now have a Bible. And if we up, actually open up that word and we actually begin to read that word, that is the thing that can change us. God, church can't change anybody. Only Jesus and his word can change us. And Jesus actually says to us in his word that he actually is those words. And so when you read this Bible, whenever we preach from God's word every single week, it's actually God speaking to us. It's actually God's word. When I say to you guys, I have a word from you guys today, it's, it's maybe because God spoke to me, but he spoke to me through this word, and he wants me to share this word with us as a community. We say this every week. We're all going in this direction together. We're all trying to learn together. So 30 Bibles, that was awesome. Um, we've given away 2,000-plus bottles of water just uh, two weeks ago. Um, one, of our, um, one of our sweet ladies in our church, I brought her supplies, and she made 30 meals for homeless people in our community. And every fifth, um, we'll do that uh, every fifth, um, every time there's a fifth uh, Tuesday of the month, we're going to be supplying 30 uh, meals for homeless people in our community. And that's kind of where we're getting started out. We're going to begin to build on that and begin to give away, away more food and be able to help more people. And um, did you know this? You can't tell everyone. You have to do this. You can give people Jesus. But it's kind of hard to think about Jesus if your stomach is completely empty. You ever thought about that before? Or if, you're, if, you, you give someone, if, you, if you give someone food, but you don't give them, that could give them a hope while their stomach is full. But if you don't offer them a chance to have Jesus, then they'll be hungry a little bit from now, but they'll, they'll have, they won't have any hope. And so that's a thing. And um, we did that event a few weeks ago. We had over 250 plus people on our campus for that, that event. We gave away 360 plus hot dogs and 400 bags of chips and 400 drinks and and this one was really cool to me. We've, we've served or we've helped serve or purchased over 1,000 meals for students that go to this school over the course of a football season, a course of a basketball season, and a few other sports. And this one I really thought was cool. We've had over 750 people walk through the doors of Hope Church in six months. That's a lot. I don't know if you've been to a lot of churches, but if you, there's some churches you go to and they're surprised when a visitor walks up. They're like, oh, what do we do? <laughs> Let's go find the most friendly person we got and tell them there's a visitor. Hey, Mike, there's a visitor coming. You're the best visitor, you know. But, man, we've had over 750 people walk through these doors on a Sunday morning, plus that event that we had. And um, did you know this? We're going to begin when, when you give here, and you see all these things that are, that are numbers. They all come with essentially a, a price tag, if you will. And so every time you give at Hope, we give we give, everything that comes in, we give 10% of it, it goes right out of, the, of these doors. It's the first 10% that comes in, it goes, it goes out, and we serve people. Um, and this one's really, really cool. This year, we're going to help start, with our tithes and our offerings here at Hope Church, we're going to help start over 50 churches this year with an organization that we're partnering with, which is awesome. That's, that's, that's really, really good news, because here's the deal. Thousands of churches close on a regular basis. 85% of churches are in plateau or they're declining. And so for us to help start more churches, there's only one church for every 1,000 people in America. So obviously I want us to reach more people. Obviously I love for this to be a church of 1,000 people. And then we'd go out and start another church down the street and a church over here. And we want to see as many people 
have their life changed as possible. We want to offer hope to this whole entire community. And we've done this. This has been kind of cool. Um, we have created a church where people from all walks of life can come and hear about Jesus. And that's our big thing. That's our big thing. We wanted to create a place where people can come and hear about Jesus. We're not introducing anyone to church. Well, this happens to be a church, and, we, and God calls you and I the church. We want to introduce and we want to connect people to Jesus because that's what he's called us to do. And so all that to say, we can give God a hand this morning for all that he's done <clears throat> and all that he's going to continue to do. We're in a week, uh, we're starting week one of a series called Stand. Stand. And the week one, we're titled it Stand Up. Don't you stand up, but tell the person next to him, just kind of nudge him and say, you got to stand, you got to stand, you got to stand. I mean, it's okay, we're in church, you can push them as hard as you want, they're not going to hit you back, you know what I'm saying? Push them really hard, you know, and some of you guys are like, oh, I'm not sitting by my spouse, I wish he was here, I'd love to punch him. Um, but we are going to talk about standing. I, I want to share a story with you by way of introduction, because um, um, I'm glad you moved closer to your wife. I mean, it's always, yeah, you have a good marriage, I'm like, man, I guess they're fighting, you know. <laughs> There was a bag there. Yeah, there's a camera bag. That's important. That's expensive, you know. She's like, don't touch my camera. I love you, Bella, my camera more. Um, I'm just kidding, kind of. It was expensive. Hey, um, I wanna, by way of introduction, I want to share with you guys a story. You've heard me say a thousand times. We haven't met a thousand times. We, I've said a lot that we have twins. And um, I want to take you guys into, a, um, into the, the pre-op room, if I can. Is that if I can, if I take you into the pre-op room? Um, you're like, oh, I don't know if that's okay. It sounds like you're already saying it, so it's got me. So we're having these twins. We go to the doctor's office on Monday. I've only shared a story a few times with a few people, but um, so if I did, just stay with me. So I, I have this. We go to the doctor's office on a Monday. It's me and Diana, and the doctor says, you have to go to the doctor's right now. You're going to have the baby today. And Diana's like, yes. You know, that's the only time she's ever been excited about high blood pressure. When you're carrying around twins, you want those babies out as fast as possible, you know. When you're carrying, I don't know, but I, I just can imagine you want them to come out as fast as possible. One, there's, I, I met a lady last week, and she's eight months pregnant. And I'm like, you're, like, doing really good for, like, how, for, being, for being eight months pregnant. And she was like, thanks. And then, you know me, I'm, I'm an over-talker. So I'm like, yeah, most people I know that are having a baby, they're walking around. They look miserable. You know, like, I start to over-talk, which I do sometimes. But she's, like, eight months pregnant. She's just kind of walking, just chilling, like, no big deal. Hair is perfect, outfit, you know, her clothes match. Like, she's just going with it. Eight months pregnant. And just going with it. And so um, I think that's cool. Um, so we get into the pre-op, and they take us back in this back room, and they say, um, uh, Mr. Beecham, uh, you sit right there. And I was like, I appreciate you calling me Mr. Beecham. That's my dad. <laughs> um, I said this week to a, a guy that's older than me. He's like, Mr. I said, hey, Mr. Such and Such. He goes, Mr. Such and Such died 20 years ago. <laughs> so here I am using that same cheesy joke. You know what I'm saying? Mr. Beecham's my dad. <laughs> um, this is therapy for me, as you know. <laughs> all that matters. It, it all ties in. It ties in, I swear. So she, he, he says to me, uh, Mr. Beecham, you sit there. And it, it's all going well. They've got Diana. So they said, Diana, you go to this room and you wipe your body down, you know, with, with this rag. And you get yourself, you know, all the, all the things that you're supposed to do. I was like, can I help, you know. And so we get to this room and we get to that room, went to room two. And now the lady walks in and we're at the place now. And if you're a lady in here, you know exactly kind of what happens next. And they start explaining to Diana the epidural, which is no big deal because this, this is our third kid. I remember the first time we went to the hospital, as soon as we got into, Diana's water broke at her house at about 2 a.m., the first kid. And 
um, she wakes me up. She's like, wake up, wake up, wake up, wake up. My water broke. And I'm like, yo, chill. You know, I got to do my hair. Back then I had hair. So I was like, I got to do my hair. And um, she's like, okay, I called the doctor's office. She's like, I'm, I'm chill now. She's like, you want to go? You can get a shower if you want. I'm like, oh, thanks for the, thanks for the invitation to go to get a shower. So I come out and get ready. I mean, as soon as we walk into the hospital, she's like, hi, my name is Diana Beach. I'm not like an epidural. Like, that was like the first thing she said. And they're like, okay, we get it. You want an epidural? And like, she's like over and over again, hey, is my epidural here yet? Like, man, we haven't even checked you in yet. Like, you, you've, in 30 seconds, you said epidural twice. And so, so I'm in this room, and we're sitting there. And the room is, is small. And so it's, it's maybe about the size of one of these stages up here. It's four by eight. And I'm kind of sitting in this room, and I'm sitting back here. And my wife is there. And, and the lady walks in and starts talking about the epidural. Well, I've never heard the epidural conversation before because baby number two the nurse botched up just taking the blood, and I, I may or may not have got a little bit queasy, so I walked out in the pre-op room, but I was there for the, I was there for the, um, I got, finally got up to the room that we were going to have the baby in. So I'm in this little pre-op room, and she says, all right, Ms. Uh, Beecham, you've had an epidural before. Yeah, yeah, and Diane's like, hurry up, you know, these things are coming. I've never done this before. My wife is asking a lot of questions. If you know my wife, she asks a lot of questions. Pray for me. Um, just kind of slid that in there. Um, she asks a lot of questions. And she's getting the play-by-play. She's saying everything. And um, what about this? What about this? And so the lady says, all right, Miss Beecham, uh, the needle's you know, needle coming and da-da-da-da. And I start feeling a little bit sick. Just a little bit. I'm fine, though. I'm a guy, you know. I'm like, I got this. I'm, it's not a big deal. I'm fine. I, I'm tough. You know, I've got my game face on. I mean, I can do anything, you know. I'm a leader. I'm a man. I, I got this. I have a beard. I'm good, you know. And so she says, um, do you have any questions? And I... I said, um, I, I have a question. I said, can I, she starts bringing her train. I was like, can I, can I move? Because I'm back here on the, on her, I know that needle's coming somewhere in this video, and I'm in, I'm in this little chair, and I'm kind of cramped in there for you. And I'm like, can I, I said, I have a question, which I never have questions. Um, I said, can I move? And she goes, yeah, you can move, Mr. Beecham. I said, can I, so I stand up, and she said, yeah, just bring your chair and set it right there. And so I, I get my chair, and I, I walk it, you know, I walk it around from Diane, and I, I come over here, and I, I sit down and I say, um, the nurse says to me, are you okay, Mr. Beach? I say, yeah, I'm great. Fine. I'm a leader. I'm a man. I have a beard. I'm fine. It's no big deal. I'm fine. And she goes, um, you're good? I say, yeah, I'm great. I said, is there a water fountain around the corner? Just, I'm thirsty. You know, I've been here for a while, you know, ice chips, water, whatever. I was like, can I get some water? And she goes, yeah, go ahead. Go ahead. It's right out there. And so I walk outside and the nurse follows me out there. And she says, um, Susie, could you get... Um, could you get Mr. Beecham some apple juice? I go, I don't need apple juice. I just want a water fountain. I'm fine. Well, and she says to me, um, so she brings me the, the, the apple juice, and I go to sit down with my apple juice. And I walk over here by the nurse's counter. If, you're, if you know anything about nursing, the, the nurse's counter, it's a, it's a high counter, or at least that's where I was. And so I go and sit on this chair, and she says, Mr. Beecham, could you sit on a lower chair? And I'm like, this one's fine. I'm fine. What do I need a lower chair for? I'm fine. Why am I drinking apple juice, you know? Like, so I'm drinking my apple juice, sipping my apple juice. I'm on this high chair, and everything's fine. And she says, Mr. Beecham, why don't you sit on that chair right there? And I said, what's wrong with this chair, you know? Your brothers can't sit in this chair? I don't know. What's, what's the deal? And she's like, you got to sit. So I, I get off the chair. And, sorry, I sit down. And the, nurse, the nurse walks by. you good? I said, I'm fine. I'm great. The nurse walks out from Diana and. She walks about, she comes, she comes, she goes, um, uh, Susie, can you get, uh, could you get Mr. Beecham some smelling salt? And now I'm, I'm, now I'm ticked off. I'm like, I am fine. I'm a man. I'm a leader. 
I have a beard. I am fine. I'm in a lower chair. I've got apple juice. And then they move me to the next operating, the next pre-op room over. Now I'm in a room by myself. I feel like I'm in timeout, which I'm totally used to. So that wasn't a big deal for me. And she goes, could you get, and she walks in, she goes, Mr. Beard, can you get Wes some smelling salt? So I'm in there. I'm sitting down. Got you a stool, Gabe. I'm sitting down. And I, I've got my apple juice, and she goes, she walks in that smelling salt. She gave me that smelling salt, and as soon as she walked away, I went, <laughs> man, because I was not fine. I was not fine. I was sitting down because I could not stand up. It, standing up was not an option. I'm glad I was in the lower chair. I'm glad they brought me the apple juice, and you, I'm very excited about the smelling salt. That was my first time doing that. I was huffing that stuff like a champion. I mean, I was like, <sighs> because I had to be strong for my wife who's in the next, you know, room. And so, and then I walk out and they say, all right, we need to, and I, I'm in flip-flops and khaki shorts because that's how I roll. And they're giving me these things to put on there. And I honestly, I got a little bit claustrophobic putting the stuff on. You're like, this guy's a pansy. But I could not stand up. I really couldn't. I, if I wouldn't have the apple juice and I wouldn't have the smelling salt, I would have been laid out. I would have missed the delivery because I mean, when they cut you open and all that, when they do a C-section, they... They, they're like, I don't know if they, you, they charge you by the minute, but they get you out of there fast. So our twins are a minute apart. I mean, they're like just take them. And it's, but I could not stand up. And the reason why we're in this series, David, is because I believe there are a lot of people in a lot of churches in America that are just okay with just always sitting down. They're okay with just fitting in. They're okay with just being like everyone else. And if we're honest in here today, it is a lot easier to be like everyone else. It is. It just, it's just easier to fit in. I took my kids to see Zootopia this past week. Great movie, by the way. And when they get to Zootopia, it's just a fast-paced grind Everyone going the same direction. And as a culture, we've become okay with that. And the reason why 85% of churches are in plateau or decline is because no one's willing to stand up and be who God has called them to be. You know what I love about this church? I, I don't, I'm not interested in telling any of you guys to be what I think you ought to be. Now, I, I like to help you find who you're called to be, but all I can do every week for you guys and for us as a community is just tell you in the Bible how God wants us to be. There's only one John Wesley Beecham II. There's only one of me. And as my, my dad is my witness, there was a, my dad can tell you this, there was a moment where my dad wanted me to be, me to be like John Wesley Beecham the first, and be work and go in the direction that he wanted me to go. And we had a we had a, a meeting, which that meant I listened, and he was talking. And there was a day where he just where God said to him, John, I don't know if he called you by John or not, but he just my dad said to me, God told me I gotta let you be who God has called you to be. And I don't want John Wesley Beecham the third to be like me, because I'd feel bad for his wife. Um, cause, cause I'm a mess, you know, and, but my, my son, I don't want him to be, I don't want him to be me. 
I mean, I'm not okay with them playing soccer, but I, I'd rather them play like basketball or baseball or like a, a football, like a manly kind of football. Like, but, but he wants to play, he's playing soccer. We're running around chasing this little ball around. Back and forth. Well, we could do this in the backyard for free, you know, and to make things better, I'm coaching them, you know. And so I don't want, you can only, the best thing for you is for you to be who God has called you to be. It's easy to fit in. Let me, let me make sure I unpack that one more level. But it is exhausting, very, very exhausting to, to be someone that you're not. That's exhausting. It's draining. Well, if I could just do this, can I do this, do this, do this, do this, do this. And if you do all the things that everybody else wants you to be, that's exhausting. Do this, do that, do this, do that, do this, do that. There's a, there's a group of men in the Bible um, in Daniel chapter 1 um, that stood up. And um, we're going to walk through Daniel over the next four weeks. And um, we're going to invite you to go on the journey with us. And by the way, life is a journey. Life is a journey. And you won't perfect it until you get to heaven. But while you're on earth, you might as well progress. You might as well progress. And we're all going to progress at different speeds. Some of us are going to, it's going to take longer. <laughs> People like me. All the slow learners like me, it's gonna, but faith is a journey. I think so many times, I, I mean, it's weird. Most of the people in this room, you've, you've entered into a relationship with Jesus Christ in this place. And you're like, well, how come I'm not singing the songs like you guys? How come I'm not lifting my hands in worship? How come I'm not, how come I'm not teaching the Bible yet? And how come I'm not reading every day for 30 minutes a day? None of us are either. But how come I'm not doing all of these things? Some of us are, but some, not me, but some people are. But how come I'm not being like, what I see everybody else doing, because we're all on a journey. And the good news is we're all on it together. And none of us are going to have it perfect until we get to heaven. And so there's a group of guys that decided they were going to make a stand. And they stood, for, they stood for the right thing. And as a community, I want us to stand for the right thing. And so if you have a Bible, Daniel chapter 1. If you don't have a Bible, it's going to be on the screen. Daniel chapter 1, during the third year of King Jehoiakim, that's where, um, anyways, let's keep going. I had a rabbit trail, but I just captured it. I mean, don't get me wrong, I want to go back on it, but I, I still have it captured. He, uh, Jehoiakim, he reigned in Judah. King Nebuchadnezzar, the, Babel, the King Nebuchadnezzar of Babylon came to Jerusalem and besieged it. This is important. The next four words are important. King Nebuchadnezzar was on the, not on the Lord's army. He, they were the enemy. But it says here in verse chapter 2, the Lord gave him victory over King Jehoiakim of Judah and permitted him to take some of the sacred objects from the temple of God. So Nebuchadnezzar took them back to the land of Babylonia and placed them in treasure in the house, in the treasure house of his God. God allowed King Nebuchadnezzar to go in and take over these people. God allowed him to do that. That's what the Bible says, okay? I can't make that up. That's what God says. Verse 3, then the king ordered Ashpenaz, he got made fun of, his chief of staff to bring the place, some of, to bring into the place some of the young men of Judah's royal family and other noble families who had been brought to Babylon as captives. He says, take the guys, 
and I want you to take them into captivity, and we're going to make them us. We're going to make them become something that they're not. And here's what he said to them. Select the strong guys, the healthy guys, the good-looking young men, like Jeremy Samuels. Make sure they are well-versed in every branch of learning and are gifted with the knowledge and good judgment and suited to serve in the royal palace. Train these young men in the languages and literature of Babylon. Make them like us. The king assigned them a daily ration of food and wine from his own kitchen. The best food, the best wine, the best teachers, the best guys to teach them how to fight, the best of the best. Let's make these guys just like us and let's get the, the best teachers, the best guys that money could possibly buy. And they did that. In verse 5, the king assigned them a daily ration of food and wine from his own kitchen. They were to be trained for three years and then they would enter into the royal service. Give me three years, let's train them and they're going to become our best of the best of the best. Bigger, faster, stronger. Daniel, Hananiah, and Michelle, Michelle, but Michelle, and Azariah were four of the young men chosen, all from the tribe of Judah. The chief of staff renamed them with these Babylonians, and they took their name away from them. They took their name away from them. And I think it's important to stop just for a moment today. I'm doing pretty good. I think it's important to let you guys know that you can only be who God has called you to be. We, that, that's the best thing for you to be. We, and we did a, we did a four-week series called Filters. You've got to be, and, and, we, and, and it filters, and we talked about new for starting year on the series called New. And when you become a child of God, you get a brand new name. You get a brand new name. And you've got to remember that, and you've got to preach that to yourself. Because it's very easy to begin to act like the names that other people call you. You know what I'm saying? You, if, you ever, if you call a kid a loser long enough, you know what they begin to act like? What you say that they're what they are. If you tell a kid that's a kindergarten or first or second grade, they're not smart and they're not going to make it, they're going to believe what you've spoken to their life. So it's important, moms and dads, that you cheer your kids on, that you be the best cheerleaders that you've ever have met, that your kids have ever met, that you breathe life into them every time you talk to them. Does that mean you, are you saying I should never punish my kids? I believe you should punish your kids, absolutely. If we were to put a surveillance camera in my house, you would see that I punish my kids. You ought to punish your kids, but you ought to be one of their greatest encouragers as well. And so they begin to strip away their names. And Daniel, they, they, um, Daniel, he was called Belteshazzar. And Hananiah, they called him Shadrach. And Mishael, they called him Meshach. And Azariah was called Abednego. Now here's where the stand comes into play. You can, there's a little bit of history for you. Verse 8, Daniel was determined. Was determined. And um, I'm going to give you a couple things to write down in just a moment. But if you, if you have a, inside of your um, worship guide there, there's a place to write notes. I believe this. You've got to decide or you've got to determine that you're going to stand way before you ever actually have the opportunity to stand. Does that make sense? We tell our... Um, I tell our kids in our, in our youth group, uh, since as long as I've been a youth pastor, 
it's too late to, when you're in the back seat of a car and your, your clothes are off, it's a little bit too late to say, okay, I'm not going to do anything. You kind of, you, you got to determine way before you ever get there. I, I, was, I was a college kid and I was dating my wife and they had this rule at their house. It's a great rule, parents, by the way. They wouldn't allow, um, boys and girls weren't allowed to be in the same house together by themselves. And so there was one day where we got to Diana's parents' house and um, we, she said, we got to sit outside. And I'm like, parents were smart. <laughs> Great idea. This is healthy for both you and for me. We have, we have to sit outside until my parents get here. That's a great rule to have, parents. And so that, like, that's the house. So obviously the bedroom shouldn't even be, a, that shouldn't even be a negotiable. So that was a rule that they, that they had. You've got to determine way before you actually, that you're going to stand way before you actually have to. Daniel was determined not to defile himself by eating the food and the wine given to them, the king, given by the king. He asked the chief of staff permission not to eat the unacceptable foods. He took another stand. He determined to stand. Now he's taken a stand. Now God gave him, the chief of the staff, both respect. But he, I'm sorry. Now God gave, has given him, Daniel and the crew, the chief of staff, both respect and affection for Daniel. Okay, they, they respect him and they love this guy. But he responded, I'm afraid of my Lord, the king, who has ordered that you eat this food and wine. If you become a pale and thin compared to the other youths of your age, I'm afraid the king will have me beheaded. So he, Daniel knows he's gonna, there's a chance he's going to die by even asking this. But he decided he was going to stand because these days they, there was, it was against what he believed to eat this food and to drink this wine. It, was, it wasn't something he could do. But he decided, I'm going to make a stand. I'm going to stand up for what I know is right. I'm going to stand up for what I've already been taught. I'm going to stand up for the name that I already have. I'm going to stand up for the things that I've already been taught all these years prior to walking into this captivity. Daniel spoke with the attendant who had been appointed by the chief of staff to look after Daniel, Hanani, Mishai, and Azariah. And he said, well, just do me this favor. Here's Daniel standing up again. He says, please test us for 10 days on a diet of vegetables and water. That's where we get the Daniel fast from. At the end of the 10 days, see how we look compared to the other young men who are eating the same exact food. Then make your decision in light of what you see. The attendant agreed to Daniel's suggestion and tested them for 10 days. And guess what happened after 10 days? They looked just as good and just as strong as all of the other guys. Just as good, just as strong as all of the other guys. Verse 15. At the end of the 10 days, Daniel and his three friends looked healthier and better, nourished than the young men who had been eating the food assigned by the king. So after that, the attendant fed them only vegetables instead of the food and wine provided by the others. God gave these four young men an unusual aptitude for understanding every aspect of literature and wisdom. And God gave Daniel the special ability to interpret the meanings and visions of these dreams. I believe this. When you make a stand for, when you make a stand for what's right, blessings always follow that. We said a few weeks ago in the blessed life, I believe blessings always follow obedience. If you're not obedient, but you're inheriting a bunch of things, that's not blessings. That's just inheriting a bunch of things. But when you're obedient to God's commands and then blessings, when things follow, that is, that is blessing. Not, I mean, things can be going really, really well for you. But if you're not being obedient, that just means things are going really, really well for you. That, you can't call that blessing. 
You can just call it whatever you want, but it's not, we're not, we gotta be obedient first. And blessings always follow obedience. God gave these four young men an unusual aptitude. Verse 18, when the training period, I'm sorry, when the training period ordered by the king was completed, the chief of staff brought all the young men to King Nebuchadnezzar. The king talked with them, and no one impressed them as much as Daniel, Hananiah, Mishael, and Azariah. So they entered, so they entered the royal service. Whenever the king consulted them in any matter requiring a wisdom and balanced judgment, he found them ten times more capable than any other of the magicians and enchanters in this entire kingdom. Verse 21, Daniel remained in royal service until the first year of the reign of King Cyrus. One full chapter of the Bible. Just right now that happened. I want a reward for that. <laughs> yeah, thank you. I appreciate that, Michelle. Let's finish. Gabe, I'm about Gabe to come up. We're going to finish my sermon. Hey, here's the deal. These guys have made a stand. They were in captivity for three years. And the whole way through, they made a stand. And I, I, here's what I, w- I want you to know. And here's, what I, here's where we're going to land this thing. I'd say we've got to make a stand for two things. We've got to stand up for two things. And it's the same two things that we've got to stand up all the time for. All the time. You're like, man, this is a pretty definitive message, Wes. Absolutely. And every time we get up here and we communicate the truth and we communicate the Bible, we're kind of always working through our ten our, our, our mission statement and our vision statement, we're kind of always working through those things. I'm always trying to remind you guys of those things. So you know as a church that we exist to love all people at all times and all places. That's kind of where we're going. That's kind of what God wants us to do. We get that right from the great commission and the great commandment. And once those people come in, once we begin to love those people, and we begin to pull those people in and begin to accept those people, what happens next? We want everyone in this room here today to know and follow and reflect the character of Jesus. The most attractive thing that you can be in here today, husbands and or wives, is an obedient follower of Jesus Christ. That's the best thing you can be. You want your, you want your the spouses or relationships to work out? Be, be what God's called you to be. That's, that's, that's the best thing you got going for you. Oh, man, my wife liked me because I, you could never, you're, I, you know, I'm stronger. Da, da. You could never go to the gym again but be a godly husband and your wife will still love you forever. Just saying. Because I haven't been in the gym in a long time, so I'm kind of riding on that. You know, I'm hoping that's true. You know what I'm saying? Um, I, uh, that's what God wants us to be. Your coworkers, you want to you get this, you, you want to get that knock on your door, hey, can I talk to you for a second? You know when, that, you know when, you, you know when your door becomes an open door policy? When you begin to live out and you begin to make a stand for the things that God wants you to stand for, people are going to start asking you the questions. A few weeks ago, a, a young man moved into a relationship with Jesus Christ, and, I, and he came to me and said, man, I'm so excited to be here. And I didn't do anything different. The guy that made the difference in his life is the guy that sits in, in, in this section, and he's the, difference that made the, he's the difference maker in that guy's life. That guy that made a difference in this guy's life that got saved, this guy is, made, is, the, kind of, is the kind of man, kind of husband, the kind of dad that's, good, that's determined a long time ago to make a stand because he's standing. This young man has watched him and said, man, I would just, you're, something's different about your life, and how do I get that? We've got to make a stand. So, Wes, what do I stand for? Two things. Number one, we as a church, me as a church, me as a follower of Jesus Christ, we and I am going to always stand up for Jesus. We're going to always do that. You want to stand up for somebody? That's a great person to stand up for. You want to stand up for someone who's got a good reputation? 
that's a good person to stand up for. When you invite people to our church, don't always say, you're gonna love our pastor. He's probably gonna say something he shouldn't say. Don't always say that. You gotta say this, man, I, I wanna introduce, my, my pastor and my church, we're gonna introduce you to someone who's got a flawless reputation. Like, who is it? It's Jesus. You wanna represent someone? It's hard to represent one of my friends in here today, he's a paralegal. And sometimes you represent people and you're trying like, I don't even know if I should be representing you. If you represent someone, it's always scary because you really don't know them. But the best person that you can represent is Jesus. We're going to stand up for Jesus. We're always, we always will, we're always going to, always at this church, as a, as a, as a family, and, and, and my wife's family's instilled that in her, and my family's instilled that in me. We're just always going to stand up for Jesus. And my kids, I pray to God, I, it's not foolproof. I'm hoping that they're going to stand up for Jesus. I'm hoping their kids are going to stand up for Jesus. We're always going to stand up for Jesus because that's, obviously, here's the, here's the best reason why we stand up for Jesus. We stand up for Jesus because he laid down his life for you and I. Man, I, you can stand up for me, and some of you do that. I love you for it. But I'm, I'm a human. I'm going to make a mistake. Just a few moments probably when I walk out of here, when I load that trailer up. I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to make, but Jesus has never, ever made a mistake. He's a great person to always stand up for. Let me tell you who else we're going to stand up for. We're going to stand up for God always. And here's the second person we're going to stand up for. We're going to stand up for other people. You want to know why? Because some people have a hard enough time standing up on their own. I sat with this guy this week and he said, man, I've had more people beat me up in the last month than I ever have experienced in my entire life. And you know what, church, can I, I don't even know if I'm supposed to say this yet. I won't be doing this for six months, so give me some grace. Sometimes, church, we are the worst forgivers. Christians are. The very thing that we stake our we stake our hope in. The very thing we stake our hope in. We say, I'm standing for Jesus, the forgiver of the world. The very thing we stand for, we're the worst at it. Does, doesn't that seem silly? And the verbiage he said to me, you know, he said to me, he said, I have a friend, he's Jewish. He said, you know, God gave my people. He said, this guy's Jewish. He said, God has given my people, he gave us 10 commandments. And we complicated it. This Jewish guy said this. He goes, we've complicated it and we turned 10 rules into over 600 laws. He goes, you know what's worse? Saying to this guy's a Christian. He goes, and Jesus gave you guys two commandments and you guys came and do that right. I was like, Pff. I was already sitting down when the guy told me that. But this guy's a believer. Hey, listen, can I give you a freebie today, church? When someone's already hurt and someone's down, we don't have to kick them. They're already down there. They're already hurt. They don't need us to remind them of the thing that they did that was wrong. You know the best thing that we can do for that person? Let's go up and sit next to them. Say, hey man, you okay? The answer will be no, because that's why they're down. That's why they're not okay. So it's probably a dumb question to say that. You may just want to go sit by them and just say, hey man, I don't, I don't really know what to say. I'm just going to sit next to you. That's okay. And if you decide you're going to talk, I'm just going to be right here. And don't you want that kind of friend? Wouldn't it make sense for us to be that kind of person if we wanted to receive that? You know what breaks my heart the worst? 
two of the most gracious guys I've ever met. They're two of the gracious guys I've ever met, most generous guys I've ever met. It's, it's funny, I spend a lot of time with them, but it's funny, the guys that give grace the most usually receive it the least. It, didn't that, it doesn't make any sense. Come on, man, all you guys come on up here. Doesn't that, it makes little sense. Little sense, and it, and it breaks my heart. And I'm gonna preach every single Sunday that God allows me to at this church, wherever I'm at, wherever I'm at in the community, wherever I'm at in my car, whenever I'm on social media, wherever I'm at, I'm always gonna stand for Jesus and I'm always gonna stand for other people. Now here's, here's where the tension happens. Note something, this is, this is gonna be like, oh, what a drag. You said it's gonna be encouraging, inspiring. Nowhere on my notes and probably never ever on my notes, probably will you ever see me say this, we gotta stand up for ourselves. Every, we're such a consumer generation. We're such a consumer society. Here's the deal. If you spend your time standing up for Jesus and people, God's gonna take care of you. God will take care of his people because he promises to. I don't gotta stand up for myself. I, you listen, if one of you guys come to me today and, and I walk up to me and my wife and one of you guys start a bad mouth and me right, right to my face, me next to my wife, I could walk away because my wife's gonna destroy you. Like, I don't have to worry about that. That's game over. I don't have to worry about that. That's, you'd be the least of my worries. I, I'm one of those kind of people, you could, you could spit in my face, I don't care. But if you talk about Kristen or Travis or you talk about Matt, my friend in the back, or you talk about my wife, then I'm like, all right, let's fight. Where are we gonna meet at? You know? I'm gonna put some more comfortable pants on and then we're gonna fight. But like, then I'm ready to go. I'm ready to go then. I don't really, I'm not, because my name doesn't matter to me. Because Jesus' names, Jesus' names, Jesus' name is more important than my name, and it always will be, and always has been, and always will be. I'm gonna leave eventually. And so I wanna leave the best way I know. I'm gonna live life the best way I know how that Jesus' name is important. That way, whenever I die, my kids, hopefully my kids outlaw me which there's no guarantee on that, parents, of my kids outlast me. They won't be saying, oh, man, John Wesley Beach in the second. He was a great guy. Well, that, that would be nice. I hope they don't say anything bad about me. But you know what I do want them to say? Man, the, the, my dad loved Jesus, and Jesus was his deal, and I'm just going to go out and live a life that's all about Jesus. That would be the best thing that could happen for my kids. Not, man, my dad was a great guy. My dad's God that he served was a great God. So can I ask you a question today? What are you standing for? Your name's not worth standing up for, by the way. It's just not. It's temporary. Your name is temporary. Like, how do, what do you mean? You're gonna die. So you might as well give Jesus' name permanent residency so that we can keep on living like it got to you. It was a big deal to Daniel and Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego. It was a big deal to them. And it was a big deal to the guys they were around. And those guys was a big deal to them. It was a big deal to those guys, and it was a big deal to those guys, it was a big deal to those guys, and that's why we have the gospel today. It's because it just some, it was, Jesus' name was more important than someone else's name, and they just passed it down. Now listen, you may love your last name, and maybe you should, and you should. I can't go anywhere like, oh, your last name is Beecham? Oh, do you? That's everywhere I go. My dad used to say to me, son, son, your name's the most important thing you got. So be, behave. 
And he would tell the person next to him, say, hey, my kid gets out of line, the good old days. If my kid gets in line, you go and spank him. And then I'll spank him later. I'm like, two spankings. One offense, two spankings. How'd you do that? What kind of parent does that? Um, hey, let's make a stand for God and let's make a stand for other people. Because that's what Jesus came to. Let's bow our head and close our eyes. Hey, why don't we stand up?